Are you here? Asking that question is how we get down to biz here at the Paul Leslie Hour. It's because you, the listener, are the most crucial part of this journey. Our guest on this episode is rock and roll royalty. We present Paul Edward Leslie's interview with guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, and recording artist Bruce Kulick. Bruce has toured and recorded with a variety of artists, including Meatloaf, The Good Rats, Billy Squire, Blackjack, and for 12 years, he toured with the hottest band in the land, KISS. We're bringing this interview out of the archives because KISS is at an important point in the story of the band. KISS will play their final show on December 2nd, 2023 at Madison Square Garden. This interview with Bruce Kulick was originally broadcast on radio in the summer of 2007, never to be heard from again until now. Bruce Kulick has three solo albums of his own. They're really amazing records. He currently plays lead guitar with Grand Funk Railroad and has appeared on albums alongside everyone from Paul Stanley and Todd Rundgren to Michael Bolton. And even with all these inspiring accomplishments, he loves his fans and such a down-to-earth guy. This interview was recorded at a retail music store called Poneer Music in Kennesaw, Georgia. Oh, it's not there anymore, but we're always thrilled to make content like this available to you all. You can help us in our mission by visiting thepaulleslie.com support. We hope you do. Thank you. And we hope you enjoy the interview with Bruce Kulick. Let's go. Today we're welcoming recording artist, songwriter, and guitarist Bruce Kulick. Last night he was performing with Grand Funk Railroad. Mr. Kulick, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I was wondering, what uh, were your influences growing up? I was you know, a huge fan of the whole British invasion, and my brother, being a little older than me, kind of turned me on to stuff at a little younger age for me. So I was 10 when the Beatles really hit, okay? And But there I was really aware of like all the terrific new groups coming out of England. And, and even though Jimi Hendrix was actually American, he had to go to England to make it, you know? So people like, you know, the Beatles and The Who and Led Zeppelin a little later on. First it was the Yardbirds, I even knew them. And then of course bands like Cream was a big influence for me. And, and then Jimi Hendrix just exploded and all that. I just embraced all that British you know, rock and roll. And I just absolutely loved it. Black Sabbath, you know. And from there, it was easy just to totally be obsessed. I kind of like some of the more progressive bands too, like Yes and King Crimson. And, you know, I just had a really, if you think about it, all the bands I mentioned, you've probably, right now there's a car commercial or something playing one of those songs. Okay. It's timeless. And it, yeah, it's yeah, timeless. It's timeless. And, it, and it is great stuff. There's no doubt. It's very fortunate that I grew up in that era. You know? And brother, Bob Kulick, is mm-hmm. also a famed musician. And I was wondering, was your household growing up a particularly musical household? There's just a lot of music in my family in general. I mean, my mom you know, said she used to sing a bit on the radio. My father said he played a trumpet. Never heard him actually play it. Okay, But all my cousins, there were so many cousins that I either played. Quite a few of them were really good piano players, you know. And even though they became either teachers or doctors or things like that, but they all played really well. I had another uncle that played violin. So apparently there was, none of them again were professional, but apparently a lot of them, you know, had a musical ability. 
But I learned early on that there's, you know, musicianship really, there isn't the, the, the term they use is an innate ability for it. Just like, you know, someone who's a, an amazing athlete, you know, it, it was probably pretty easy early on. You know what I mean? They just seemed coordinated or whatever, and they could really hit that ball or swing the golf club fairly quickly. And I think it's the same thing with music. You either have a good ear for it and an instinct for it, which is this innate ability. And I, and I clearly had it, and so did my brother. I'm just glad I was able to embrace it and all, you know. So how did you make the jump from being a lover of music to finally deciding, I really want to do this for my life? It really took some of my friends in senior year of high school just to say, well, what are you going to do in college? And I really didn't have a clue. I loved music and I was playing and I was gigging, but it's not like I had, you know, completely stars in my eyes that like, oh, I got to be a rock star. But all my friends were very encouraging in the sense that, you know, you, you know, they, they felt I was talented enough to be successful at it. So they just told me, why don't you do music? You know, so I was like, okay, not a bad idea, you know? <laughs> so I went to, Queens College actually had a music core school, even though like people like Jerry Seinfeld went there probably just for a regular degree. But I only actually survived two years because by then I started getting offers to travel and be in bands that, that were keeping my career moving forward. So that's it started right then. I only got through two years of college. But I'm glad I did that because I did get exposed to a lot of things like classical music. And then I had a jazz teacher privately. So I was getting knowledge of theory and, and various. As soon as I heard Jeff Beck playing really interesting stuff, I was like, what is he doing? And I don't understand it. That was about 74, you know. So I was very happy to have this knowledge of some classical background from the school and then the jazz teacher that I, that I met that I started to take lessons from. So I got an education in a way. A lot of your music, you know, people may, when they're listening to your solo music, they may think, oh, this is going to be straight ahead rock and roll. And a lot of it is, of course. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a rock and roll album. But I noticed a lot of other kinds of sounds on there, you know, right. a, a real, real variety. One of them, In of the Mountain Gods, mm -hmm. that song, that's just a funky song. I really like it. Thanks. But I was wondering, it almost has at the beginning like a sitar kind of sound. Right. Well, what I was trying to get a, a thing, first of all, the, the title came from Grand Funk. We were touring like in uh, New Mexico and there happened to have been like some Indian hotel that was called In of the Mountain Gods. And I loved it. I wrote it down and I said, oh, this is great, you know. And then, like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles, I was always uh, fascinated and enjoyed some of the Indian kind of sounds and things like that. And even though I'm not using, I'm actually using like a 12-string and the, the, the kind of effect on my other guitar that I was using, I think it was some sort of just a regular Les Paul. But it, I wanted to give it a little bit of a weird kind of, kind of some sort of meditative kind of vibe was happening, you know. And there's actually my, my buddy in the background kind of chanting a little bit. You don't hear it too well unless you get the headphones on, but he's doing that just to set up the mood of the song, you know. And But I did, I mentioned the two bands that I was really, you know, fascinated whenever they stretched out a bit, you know, Led Zeppelin and Beatles just would, would do all these really creative things. Yeah, I like to incorporate whatever I can. I, I bought a like an H, like a mandolin that was an octave mandolin. So that, you know, mandolins will have eight strings, but it was an octave lower. It was a bigger instrument, of course. And, and I wound up doing some tracks for the last song on Transformer, my solo record, uh, using that instrument. So I'm not saying I'm like Mr., you know, that, that my multi-instrumental type thing is my biggest card, you know, of my, you know, deck of playing. But it's certainly it's something I occasionally will, will try to incorporate. And back in 1977 and through 78, you were touring with Meatloaf. Right. Could you tell us a little bit about that? You know, Meatloaf was this new artist on Epic CBS, and 
he had a terrific concept with him and Bill Steinman, you know, Jim Steinman, sorry. And Todd Rungren produced the record. I was a big fan of Todd. They were looking for a backing band. My brother kind of always got the kind of the news about who was looking for who. And, and he wanted to do it as a dual lead guitarist kind of thing. And we auditioned. And actually, they weren't so sure about me. They liked Bob a lot. But Bob said, you know, they weren't going to go. You know, he wasn't going to do it unless it was the two of us. So I always thank my brother about that. But the truth is, I was very, very into the Todd Rungren stuff. So I copied Todd Rungren as best as I could. And everybody from the uh, management to Meatloaf was very pleased that one needed the proper, you know, the actual Bob hated, you know, copying somebody, you know, but I, I said, I'll learn the Todd riff. Don't worry, you know, we'll do it. And then we started playing from uh, small places where we were getting booed to uh, conquering the world and selling out arenas, you know, and he became a huge star, you know, Bad Out of Hell still sells a million records a year. And one of the reissues actually is really cool because they do have a couple of live tracks and it's from when I performed with them in 78. So look for that. And I, I learned so much from it. It was not an easy gig. We toured a lot. We did over 200 shows in a year. And he was out of his mind, you know what I mean? Because the success was crazy. Apparently he was doing a lot of drugs and things. And But it was certainly a unique, you know, band to be a, a part of. And I was, you know, I really learned a lot about the business by doing that. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about Blackjack? We, you know, we, you know, it was great to have this opportunity. Michael Bolton got, you know, some really big, important business people behind him. One guy ran Swan Song, this guy, Stephen Weiss, and he's the administrator of Led Zeppelin and Bad Company's, you know, catalog. So he's a powerful lawyer. You can read about him in that Led Zeppelin book, you know, and he liked Michael and wanted, but Mike, he wanted Michael to be a band. You know, and I did a couple of gigs with, with Michael. Didn't know him that well. So, but he turned to me and my brother at the time. My brother wasn't so interested in how things were, were going down and he just went his own way. But I continued with it. I thought this is a good opportunity for me. And I really became, you know, Michael's kind of partner in this situation. You know, we had a great drummer, Sandy Gennaro, and the bass player's gone on to win Grammys with the Yellow Jackets. Jimmy Haslip, really talented bass player. He just got off tour with Alan Holdsworth. He's going to play on my solo record, too. i got to get him on a track. But the four of us were really, really talented, and we had Tom Dowd, really famous producer, you know, worked with the Allman Brothers and Eric Clapton, of course, and we went down the criteria and we recorded. It was really amazing experience. You go to YouTube, there's a great promo video that, that, that is up there from that era of us when you see the record company guy, Black Jackets, no gamble. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's this German guy from Polydor, which doesn't even exist anymore, you know, became Universal, eventually Polygram, then Universal. But I'm telling you, it was really, we, we were all really were in, in thrown into the fire, kind of like, as like, okay, you guys better be as big as bad company. You know, I mean, we didn't know what we were stepping into, you know, and we sold like 100,000 copies of the first record. And of course, the label thought it was a disaster. You know what I mean? They didn't even want to do the second record, but we got the second record done. And I remained friends with Michael. And I toured when he, a few years later, got a solo deal as Bolton. That's when he changed his name to Bolton. And it was actually through that tour, we opened for Bob Seeger for about three weeks. And it was that tour that I met Don Brewer. And now you know I'm with Grand Funk. Don remembers me from that. So, you know, it shows how every gig kind of relates to maybe another gig down the line, you know, which is why it's real good to stay out there and, and, and be active so that you never know who you're going to meet along the way. But, you know, Michael, of course, once he changed course and became, he never made it as that rock and roll hero, you know, lead singer, even though he was, he's, you know, very talented and those records were good. 
you know, he kind of became your mother's favorite artist, you know, <laughs> and, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, no. you went on to win Grammys and he's very successful. And Kanye West even covered one of the songs. He used a song from the second Blackjack album. So that was a big surprise. I got a nice triple platinum Kanye West college dropout record on my mantle. That's cool. <laughs> Last night I was I was at the Grand Funk Railroad concert. And I have to say my favorite part of the concert was the Star Spangled Banner hmm. that you did. That was awesome. Well, thanks. I mean, that was, I used to do a kind of a version with Kiss at the end of the Revenge Tour and wound up on a live three, but that all came up by accident. Like in the second year of working with Grand Funk, there used to be a lot of veterans that would show up because Grand Funk meant a lot if you were in Vietnam and all that. It was during that whole time is when they really took off, you know. And I remember it was a Memorial Day weekend show and just Don said to me, hey, you know, do you think, do you know the Star Spangled Banner? You know, I, yeah, I used to do that with Kiss, sure, you know. Let me do it. I'll do it. You know, it'll be good. And then they saw how well it went over. They said, like, oh, let's put that in the show every night. You know, we're the American band. So we don't do it in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, you know, given that you were in Kiss for 12 years and now you're with Grand Funk Railroad, do you Mm -hmm. have one that you feel more passionate about? Well, the, the Kiss gig, obviously, because we were constantly creating new albums and, and touring and doing videos and and KISS being such a huge band, obviously, it's not about being passionate, it's just being respectful. Certainly thrilled to be in Grand Funk, and it's a great opportunity for me. But, you know, we don't, you know, it's not like I have like five new records of, you know, material that we've created. You know, Grand Funk's more about like we're touring and having a good time. We do some new songs, but, you know, we're not trying to, you know, I guess when, when you're in KISS, you're trying to prove yourself every other year or every year with a new product, you know. And there's a lot of pressure on you for that. But because of that, I've gotten this legacy from KISS. You know, I've gotten this 12 years of a couple of really key records that KISS is known for, considering in general to your general person that knows, oh, I've heard of KISS, you know. They're only going to think of the makeup. But if you really know the band, of course, you know, you know there was this era without that, and that's my era, and KISSology 2 is coming out in August, and that's going to concentrate quite a bit on my era, which is great. There's some really cool concert material that I've seen already that's going to be in it. So again, it's not a point of which one I'm more passionate about. I'm passionate about playing guitar and I, and I do what I need to do for whatever job I have, you know, whatever my role is. But certainly the Kiss thing just was probably, you know, it was like a little lightning stroke in my, you know, had, a, had that strike in your life where it's just something amazing happens and you get to join a band like that and survive 12 years, you know. Though I love playing with Grand Funk, but the Kiss thing is really obviously a big thing for my legacy. And recently, Paul Stanley has a new solo album out, Live mm-hmm. to Win. Right. And since we just heard back from their management that he may be a guest on our program. Cool. I was wondering what you thought of Mr. Stanley's new album. I really like it. I think he had a much more defined solo record than Gene's. But Gene was going to do what he wanted to do anyway. You know, be a pimp, be a, <laughs> a pop star, you know, whatever. You know, Gene's always like, you know, very extreme in every every way with what how he approaches things. And Paul was much more methodical about a vision with his record. So I enjoy the record. And, you know, it was great to be involved. I played bass on like the three kind of more ballady kind of songs, but that's good. I had a great time working with him. He knows we work well together and I'm flattered that, you know, I'll play bass on my stuff, not not every song, but sometimes I get hired by people to play bass, even though it's not my main instrument. But I was obviously happy I'm the only other KISS member on, on you know, Paul's record, so that's kind of cool. You mentioned an upcoming Bruce Kulick album. Yeah, BK3. 
Yeah. All right. So when is that going to be coming out? Well, I, the real goal would be to get it done this year, and it's doable now that I'm finally recording again. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but last December, I, re- I cut the drums to 11 songs, or 10 songs, and then one in January with Eric Singer on drums, okay? And I haven't been able to look at it until two weeks ago, you know? And that's only because of me being very, very fortunate to be working, mm-hmm. okay? It wasn't anything where uh, I didn't know what to do, you know? It was just kind of like, okay, well, how can I figure out when I can get in the studio? I couldn't, you know? I, I just was kind of always busy traveling and doing something between fantasy camp or, you know, grand funk show or touring with Eric Singer as ESP. And I've been really, really, uh, this has been a great year for me. Very happy that I'm able to do a lot of different things, you know, and here, of course, I'm in, here in Atlanta, do a gig, but then I'm also doing a clinic. And then tomorrow I'll go off and do a kiss expo in St. Louis. So I like that. It's exciting to be able to kind of wear a few different hats, though it's all related to the same thing, you know, my guitar player, you know, but so I'm just so thrilled. And I, my, my friend Jeremy, who I'm working with, once I saw the opportunity, as much as the summer is not an easy time for me to be in the studio because I'm flying out every weekend with Grand Funk. But why not? If I'm home for four days, why don't two of those days be in the studio? So that's what I've done now, you know, where I've been in the studio, like, I think three or four days in the past couple of weeks. And we've gotten a lot done, obviously, you know, next week, I may only do one day, but each day, you know, you're carving away at you know, the tracks and getting the tracks done. And it's exciting. I'm really thrilled about the record. And I'm glad I'm kind of so busy also, because then sometimes you get too obsessed and you overthink everything in the studio, you know, where this is just like, just do what you do and it'll be fine, you know, and and it's coming out great. This is going to be my best solo record. I know everybody always says the OAS thing is the best, but I have grown as an artist and a person over the past, you know, three years since Transformer came out. So I I really do feel this one will be the... It'll be the best one yet. Although I'm stand by the two I did, you know, because I'm passionate about what I do. If I put my name on it, I want it to be as good as I can be at that time, you know. So how can our listeners get more information or check out these albums for themselves? You just Google my name. The first thing or the second thing that shows up is going to be my website. And through my website is my, you know, AOL, you know, how you can email me. MySpace, which, yeah, the young people have really embraced it, but that is a real model for the future of how music is being shared now. But MySpace, I post bulletins whenever there's something new on my site, and I I figured out how to do the hyperlink to get them to go to my site because I want them to look at the studio blog. I want them to see the story. I'll have eventually a story up about this weekend, playing in Atlanta, doing a clinic, going to St. Louis, you know. So so it's easy to buy the stuff. It's easy to hear it to see if you want it, you know, you know. I'm only asking 10 bucks, you know, you know, I throw a guitar pick in there, you know what I mean? So it's, it's all, it's all good. So is there anything else coming on the horizon in the world of Bruce Kulik? Well, I'm excited about a couple of things that I talk about on my site too. Like there's a friend of mine that my buddy, Jeremy, that's working with me, just produced his record. This, this actor from American Pie, he's on my MySpace page. And by the way, my MySpace page is my name, just Bruce Kulik. Okay. And Thomas Ian Nicholas is his name. And I co-wrote a couple of songs on his record and played some guitar on his record. He's a real good singer. really. Singer. You, you recognize his face immediately when you saw him because he's in the, all those American Pie movies. But he's going to get a record out this year. And I've done some acoustic gigs with him in, locally in L.A., you know, where I sit in and half his set. It's always, always fun. There's a singer from Texas that I work with who's going to get out her EP, Missy, Missy St. Thomas. And Jeremy, the guy that I mentioned and myself, produced and co-wrote most of the songs with her and produced it. It sounds terrific. And I met a kid, let's say, at the fantasy camp in London just recently that's 14. The kid's brilliant. I, I want to really work with the guy. you know. I, so I want to keep 
not only my record and touring with Grand Funk and and getting involved with some other session work was is to develop some other artists. So look for that on on the horizon. But look for me just doing my, my site. I update it every couple of weeks. Sometimes you know every couple of days. It all depends. But that's the best way to look look, look what's going on. Well, Mr. Kulik, I have one last question. Given that this program goes out all over the world, mm-hmm. what would you, Mr. Bruce Kulik, like to say to the world? Well, first of all, you know, I don't want to be like sappy and say like follow your dream, you know, but, but you know, be realistic about what your gifts are. And to all the musicians out there, definitely try to keep the business side together because the only guys that are really successful out there consistently are people that have that other part of the brain working. You know, I mean, if you, and if you can't do that, then have somebody help you do that. Have a manager that will coordinate everything. If you're not capable to, you know, set up a, you know, a job or a thing, you know, but you got to be a businessman, you know, not all creative people can handle that. So I think, I think try to do it, but if you can't just get someone to do it for you and then, and then, you know, yeah, you might make a little less money, but what they're earning, you wouldn't make, you'll be stuck in your house, never, never making any money. So that's that's a good lesson that I think uh, some people need to hear. Well, Mr. Kulik, I do thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure no speaking. All right, thank you. All thank right. You. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.